is history was or is. Historian Harold Holzer and documentary filmmaker Ken Burns reflect on the past and present when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Vitality is a natural expression of health, success, and fulfillment. And yet it's rare to meet people bubbling with vitality. That's because most of us push ourselves too hard. And when we trigger the internal alarms that tell us to change our diets, attitudes, or activities, we ignore them. Allowing outside pressures to override our internal alarms undermines our health, sabotages our success, and limits our potential. If you're ready to reclaim your natural vitality, to begin living a life you love, visit thevitalyou.com. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. Our guest today is Harold Holzer, Civil War historian and author, and with him is Ken Burns, legendary documentary filmmaker. Ken was reading uh, one of the letters from one of the soldiers uh, from Iraq. Well, I think, you know, the idea is that when we, we all live very protected lives for the most part, the people who don't are people like firemen and policemen. We know from September 11th and soldiers, of course, uh, in wars just and unjust around the world. And the, what they produce, the energy that is produced in this incredible uh, sort of locus of, of death and, and anxiety is, is just amazing and so poignant and you see it in every war we're finding it in the Second World War of course and, and certainly now as well as the Civil War and, and Harold you're right we tended to think no one wrote that way no one writes that way anymore but even after the series came out I got thousands of letters from people who were supposed to be completely numbed by TV in a postmodern age that had lulled them to blissful, ignorant sleep. And the, the exact opposite was true. Some of the most beautiful prose in, in just in relation to saying that they liked a TV show that was about the worst suffering yeah. that America's ever gone through. You know, as a someone who writes about the period, I think, like all of us who do so, the... Um, Historiography in the 20th century can sort of be divided into um, BB and AB, before Burns and after Burns. <laughs> um, you're probably everybody's hero. Um, you should have exacted a percentage on everybody when you did the series. You would have been, um, you would have owned Vermont at this point. <laughs> but um, you've certainly. I don't know who could have imagined when, when the Civil War appeared, despite the fact that it had an enormous impact, um, certainly more than any public television show I can think of. Um, did you imagine that it would create um, an interest in the war that would just flourish and grow? Because until your series, interest in the Civil War has been quite cyclical, routine, and predictable. And um, I don't think it has it shows any signs of, uh, of declining. You know, my mother died when I was 11 years old. It was a traumatic event of my life, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. She was sick for a very long time. And I've always believed that 
we tend to hold history at arm's length and make it this other thing. But if you were to look at your own history, that is to say, on the story of your country, the life of your country, the way you would a close friend or a family member, then it's clear that the Civil War is the great traumatic event in the childhood of our nation, and that disguise it, as we have so often done, ignore it, as we usually do, distort it, as I'm afraid we also are guilty of, we can't nevertheless be incredibly affected all the time by what went on during those four terrible years when we came closest to ending our national life. And it's just, it's just true. And I do think that we go in cycles about it. But when you uncover the Civil War and the emotional resonance of it in a conversation of the kind of broad nature that we had when the series came out. It really has nothing to do with the documentary film or the filmmaker or the intentions or the biases or the things that are left in or left out, but it really just was an opportunity for people to start talking in much the same way Tom Brokaw's book about the greatest generation finally gave those people the permission to talk, which was this huge therapeutic value. I think in some ways the series, if it can claim anything, is it had a kind of, it was responsible for a kind of therapeutic release, which said, hey, it's okay, and you find people joining reenactment groups all over the country, uh, people who take their kids in the car in the summertime and visit the Civil War battle sites, people who read more. What a great thing to have happen, people reading more and sparking all sorts of other kinds of uh, television productions that are trying to get into aspects of the war or individuals in that war, which just make it great. So I think that the series just happened to be one of those lucky accidents where it came along at a moment and it just bored a little bit of hole through the the cacophony and people suddenly realized, oh my God, I need to know about this. This is the, This was an important part of my, quote, childhood, unquote. And I think that that's what we've been searching for, is some sort of peace, some sort of reconciliation, some sort of understanding of those desperate times. And uh, well, I, we didn't, we didn't put, give it. We just sounded a question, and we just people kept asking the question. Well, you've made possible many answers. As someone who's uh, sent uh, two daughters through college with um, advances in royalties, based on <laughs> continuing interest, my... You're in, I'm in your debt forever. So. <laughs> because I do think you're under-reporting the, uh, the... I think you did more than awaken... Um, well, we were, Harold, we were flabbergasted when the series came out. You know, we knew we had, we'd worked so, so hard with our nose to the grindstone, but we weren't so, uh, you know, unaware that we didn't think we had a good film. But we had could no it, idea have... that it would ha enter into the kind of public consciousness the way could the same thing have happened had it um had it appeared on commercial television no i don't think so for a number of reasons the first of all is commercial television would have never tolerated an 11 and a half hour film in odd episodic lengths uh that was all still photographs you just would have been laughed out of existence first of all every episode would have been uniform so there would have been an attempt to enslave and i use that word very carefully to enslave the activity to the modern demands public television has a fluidity has a flexibility that permitted 
these odd, non-standard lengths. And we were able to say, you know what? Episode two from the first half of uh, 1862 to the to the I mean, for the first half of that year, is only 62 minutes long. But you know what? Episode five, which is the Battle of Gettysburg, is nearly two episodes, long, you know, two hours long. So that's just the way it is. That's what we needed to take it. And I could just imagine the kind of square peg being crushed through a round hole if we tried to do this on uh, commercial television, not the least of which would have been, what, still photographs, nothing moving, get yeah. those reenactors out there. You know, we, I have to tell you the latest manifestation here in New York. You may have heard about it or read about it in the Times. But uh, when my Cooper Union book came out, we decided to launch it by restaging the Cooper Union address. Yes, I read about it. I was so infuriated that I wasn't there because I think one of your readers was Sam Waterston. He was the one and only. And you know Sam, of course, from Jefferson and other projects. I know. Uh, He was our voice of Lincoln and made him come alive. And uh, there's nobody who gets his cadences and his doubt and his force better than Sam. It is extraordinary. But, of course, he recreates Lincoln every week as a prosecutor as well. But but this event at Cooper Union, um, you know, I I didn't know even with the power of a of a you know huge television star doing um the recreation. I thought we might fill the house. In fact there were a thousand people in the hall and a thousand people who didn't get in. Oh. Um which almost doubled Lincoln's um audience. And it was fascinating to watch the audience from the stage because I assumed the role of uh, William Cullen Bryant in introducing him, so I got to watch from the stage. But it is an 80-minute speech, an odd, you know, people are used to 90-second commercials or 60-second commercials, and yet it held that audience and people began shouting back audience responses following in the text. It was miraculous. I think, I don't know if you agree, but current politicians seem to underestimate people's appetite for serious discourse. Do you know what? I'm not going to blame it on politicians. I'm going to blame it on the people who present it. I think Marshall McLuhan is right. The medium's the message. Mm-hmm. And if Abraham Lincoln developed, uh, gave his Gettysburg Address today, uh, C-SPAN might even miss it. Well, it's and too we long. Would be denied, we would de- be denied what we consider the greatest piece of rhetoric in the history of the United States. And it has to do with an appetite for sound bites, a willingness to override the politicians and say, I can digest and tell you what they were about, so that the length of the sound bite already challenged uh, in earlier ages is now down to just a few seconds. Uh, and we wouldn't have that awareness that particularly in a in a country that is founded not because of conquest not because of geography not because of religion not because of race not because of whatever but because of ideas that in this country words matter and uh, the fact that conventions are not covered gavel to gavel is a sign of an incipient you know disease that is affecting us and and I hope that we can remember that we still are a place where words matter. And it's interesting to note in the most recent debates uh, that the equation between the two candidates changed dramatically when human beings had an unfettered and unrestricted access to the words of politicians. So I'm, I'm not absolutely sure, Harold, that it's the politicians, but in fact the apparatus charged with reporting them 
that has denied us uh, the possibility of, of understanding the power of words and celebrating the power of words, as Lincoln so clearly does, and obviously Sam in that unbelievably great speech was able to do. What would you do differently? What would you re-edit, if anything, in the Civil War all these years later, if you could go back? You know, it, that's a good question. These films, I, I can tell you that because I work with public television, um, where you don't have somebody standing over you saying, do it this way, do it that way, we're worried that it's not going to sell, you know, you're, you're allowed to work it as best you can. Each of these films, in particular the Civil War, represents the very best that we could put in it. So like a photo album, you could look at it and say, geez, I wish the hair was a little bit shorter or that I gotten rich, rid of that uh, flab around the middle. You don't tear up the photograph and throw it away. And so, too, you can look at the Civil War and see many things that perhaps now uh, you might have done differently, but you wouldn't go in and, and change it, N not at all, because that's an accurate snapshot of who you are. Um, some of the criticism that came from the extreme left had to do with they felt with as an identification of the film with sort of the great man theory, and that the sufferer of that was the radical Republicans in the Congress and this and uh, a lack of appreciation on our part of the huge transformation that the Congress of the United States helped to affect not only over the course of the Civil War but the, particularly the social and civil changes that took place after the war and that's in a way a legitimate criticism we had many sections on that and found ourselves like Amadeus like the movie Amadeus with too many notes Mm. And things were boiled away. So perhaps if I think that I've gotten to be a better filmmaker, if I'd made it now, maybe some of these other things would have been able to stay in. And it wasn't the fact that we didn't know about them or neglected them. It was just certain narrative choices that one makes along the way that in the end I defend uh, completely. But you, you could say, yeah, you could do, we could do more on this, we could do more on that, we could add this. But once you've done that, you've opened a floodgate that permits anybody to then come in and say, well, while you're at it, <laughs> you forgot this battle. Well, we didn't forget this battle. We just realized that our film, like baseball and jazz, our film in the Civil War couldn't be an encyclopedia. It couldn't read like the Manhattan uh, telephone book. What you had to do is make some very difficult choices to focus on signal individuals at the top and at the bottom of the chain of command and one town north and one town south and to choose your battles literally uh, so that you could focus on them and, and have them stand in signal relief and perhaps suggest experiences in other battles because to have tried to to please everybody would have ended up having the the most boring kind of encyclopedic film and that's of course not what we tried to do. I, I never would have suspected you would suggest the Congress, <laughs> but it's, an, it's a fascinating, um, it's uh, it's a fascinating uh, uh, thing. Well, I think I, that they're complicated. They turn into villains later on, at least in our popular imagination, with the impeachment of Andrew Johnson, and we forget the way in which uh, Lincoln, having to mollify so many different. Um, uh, constituencies appears to us as tardy on things like emancipation. Yeah. Well, that's um, another debate that's raging with with new intensity and sort of an uh, almost an absurdity 
to it. That, uh, Absolutely, and we can understand the political exigencies that would drive Lincoln to some of the stances he took, and we can forgive him and understand from the volumes of his writing and his own and his own thoughts where his own sympathies lay. But I think that in the course of that. There's overreaction, and and the Thaddeus Stevens of the world, who absolutely pushed. I think uh, it's unfair to call them the radical Republicans. Yeah, they, I always they, call they, them the advanced Republicans. Yeah, they they had, they they put a, a, a sense of civil rights on the agenda. I mean, this war would not have happened had Lincoln not vocally opposed slavery, and had the rest of the country, particularly the South, not understood that in their bones, South Carolina wouldn't have gone. And if South Carolina had, hadn't have gone, so too would the other southern states have stuck around. So slavery is the cause of the war, no matter how much people try to disguise it and sanitize it and tell you it's about states' rights and other stuff, because it all, even those issues go back to slavery at the, at the end. So, but would you, would you, if you... If the Civil War could could be have been recorded in um, in moving pictures, if it in fact was unfolding in you know offering opportunities for current reportage, I know this is sounds like an absurd question, but it's actually about style. Would you ever have imposed yourself Michael Moore style on? Um, Jefferson Davis, as he was walking between the House office, the Senate office building and the Senate, no, and asked him why he was uh, leaving, going back to Mississippi. Yeah, no. And this I, is obviously a question about Michael Moore's style versus yeah, yours. No, and and I, I appreciate some of the strengths of that style, but I've chosen something else, and uh, that's a kind of confrontational, physical uh, kind of uh, style that that doesn't appeal to me. Uh, as, as a filmmaker, one can appreciate it when it works and, and sort of understand the way, uh, the problems with it when it doesn't work. But I'm just trying to make sure that the way we've chosen does pretty well. Uh, yeah, there would be, if that was possible in your question, it would be important for somebody to go up to uh, Jefferson Davis and stick a mic in his face yeah. and ask him some pretty tough questions. Well, you've got to make, you've made sepia into a kaleidoscope. So <laughs> it's only the quality of the decaying images that make it so fascinating to me, Harold. I love those, those old photographs. I think I hear the closing music, and it sounds familiar. The Ken Burns theme song. You've been listening to historian Harold Holzer and documentary filmmaker Ken Burns. Thank you for joining us. This is Civil War Talk Radio.